the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and I'm barking at you from 860-WGULAM. We're in the Tampa Bay area, but I am international, and you can reach me at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. And if you go to the webpage... Via that address, you'll see a little box up in the upper right that says Listen Live between 9 and 10 a.m. every Sunday. You got me. Here I am. By the way, we are an iHeart station, so if you're bopping around town or on the interstate and you've got your smartphone with you, you can ring me up and listen to the show from wherever you are. Isn't that wonderful? Modern electronics. I was thinking about this before the show. Now, I'm in the studio and my producer, who's Jose today, he is in another studio. We can't see each other, but we have to communicate. So he talks to me, and you can't hear him. Only I can hear him through the magic of electronics. Now, I talk to you, but you can't talk directly to me without him. Now, he can hear you if you call him, and if he chooses to, and I accept, then he can put you through to me. Now, this is all very confusing. Now, think about 2,000 years ago. If you tried to explain that to somebody, they'd think you were crazy or possessed by the devil. It's a changing world, ever-changing. And I'll tell you, the recent episodes and events with the Muslim terrorists killing people in California and in Paris, I think these questions bait, or these problems bait a question as to just exactly what is the meaning of life? Of course, most of us say, well, it's to live. You know, that's why we're so upset. We don't want to be killed, right? And not only do we not want to be killed, even though we know death is unavoidable, we don't want to be killed in an act of violence by someone when we're just going about our own business and not doing anything wrong. Now, if we're in an automobile accident and we die, we say, well, it's a terrible thing, and it's nobody's fault unless somebody's drinking or driving on the wrong side of the road. But it was just one of those things. And although we mourn the loss of the person we love who's gone, we accept it as part of life. But it's harder to accept what we see as a meaningless act of violence by people who say they're doing it in the name of their God or their idea of God. And for young Muslims who are and, of course, it's always more complex than just religion. 
you know, there's background, there's the kind of treatment you received at home, there's the teachings you were exposed to, and the way that your family and your neighborhood looked at life that forms us. We know that. We know the geneticists have shown us that. They've shown us that you can clone a herd of cattle, but everyone's going to have a different personality depending on where they came into it, how they feel about being part of the group, and one cow may want to wander off and be by herself, and one may want to be the boss, and others are subservient, and some just go along. And so a lot of this is behavioral. It's learned behavior. And where do you learn to be violent? Well, you learn that at home. That's the first place you learn it. If you have a heavy-handed father, an abusive atmosphere, chances are you're going to come out of that house with some problems. Is everybody who's been abused or whacked around by their parents a sociopath and a murderer and a killer? Of course not. But it does set the stage. Now, I have to ask myself, the reward for these good deeds that young Muslims feel they're, they're working towards is to go to heaven, and they believe that God commands all of this, and so there's an element of, it's not my fault, it's the will of God, and that fatalism, as I've said before on the show, does pervade Islam, and it's something that is in distinct contradiction to the way we look at life and believe life as Judeo-Christians, Hindus, Buddhists. We look at life and say, we do have some free choice. We can pick between good and bad. Just because my father beat me doesn't mean that I have to beat my kids. Well, if God commands all to believe the same way that young Muslims believe and follow the way of the prophet Muhammad, and the infidels are not willing to change, well, then perhaps they are evil in the mind of a young Muslim. Perhaps those who don't believe the way he does or she does are evil because they're defying the will of God in his mind. And you take that kind of philosophy or theology and you mix it with abuse and neglect, rough upbringing, social isolation, and you got a powder keg, and it's not just one, ten, a hundred thousand. There's millions of young Muslims that feel that way. Not all will act on it, but certainly it's pervasive in all societies. There's still abuse in our country, and there are still serial killers that are made every day by abuse and neglect exposure to violence. Does that mean that anybody who's exposed to violence or has had a spanking is going to turn out to be a sociopath? Of course not. I was sitting with my son. He was about six or seven. We were watching one of the Star Wars or whatever episode was available then. And it had a lot of violence and people killing each other and this and that. And I looked at him. I said, Zeke, do you think this is true? He says, Dad, it's just a movie. It's just entertainment. This is a six- and seven-year-old kid. So no, not everybody who has this exposure or watches television that's violent. Certainly my generation watched violent television. Gunsmoke, Wild Wild West. All the shows I watched had violence in them. Why? Because it's cathartic for guys. We like that stuff. 
helps us get our emotions out without hurting anybody. But let me get back to my first question. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? I mean, this is a tough question. Does evolution have anything to say about this? Is science involved in this? Is there a meaning greater than our physical existence? Is there a God that has set all this into motion? And if there is, who set God into motion? These are tough questions. And what value is our life? Plato, who you know is the father of modern Western philosophy, says that the unexamined life is not worth living. If you don't check yourself out, you're not worth being around. Kurt Vonnegut said, well, what if you examine that life and it turns out to be a clunker? <laughs> then what do you got? So you, you have this introspection, but that introspection may lead to things that say, you know what, I'm not such a hot person. Now, many members of the scientific community and philosophy of science think that science can provide the relevant context, the answers, the parameters, the reasons for our existence, why we're here, why we feel the way we do, why we choose to believe in a God or not believe in a God. And they feel that science can offer a lot of insight into these topics. Certainly it can, and it can tell us about emotions, what causes anxiety. We, we know that now. We know biologically the rudiments of what causes anxiety and fear. There's the science of happiness or fear of death, and these things can all be measured to some extent. We're still at the threshold of understanding the brain and all of its workings, but we can understand these things through the study of physical and natural laws, general physics, logic, rational psychology. Now, all of this takes into account different aspects of life, and what we see is reality. And for us, physical reality is what we can sense, what we can taste, smell, touch, see, hear. You say, well, I feel the presence of God. That's metaphysical, and that's an emotional reaction. And maybe that's part of the brain. Maybe there is a part of the brain that actually has a God center in it, and that is stimulated. And without some involvement in something greater than ourselves, outside of ourselves, we're never going to be fulfilled. That doesn't mean that we can't seek answers within the physical world. But what correlates best with happiness and with internal satisfaction and a sense of self? Well, a lot of the studies have shown that the involvement of humans in activities that are productive, that are meaningful, that make us feel we're making a contribution, keeps us busy, the old maxim, busy hands are happy hands, that humans experience meaning and fulfillment when mastering challenging tasks. That the experience comes from the way the tasks are approached and performed, and not just the, ta the task in and of itself. And it doesn't matter what the task is. 
whether it's practicing medicine or putting a screw in a car on an assembly line or digging a ditch or whatever it is we do to fulfill our lives and be part of the whole and meaningful and useful. It's how we approach it. And you have two different ways of approaching it. The classic example is two workers on a boring production line in a factory. One treats it as a tedious chore, can't wait for the break, glad to get home, a sour puss at work, while the other turns it into a game to see how fast he or she can turn out a unit from their station and achieves flow in the process and feels part of the bigger whole. Well, the glass is half empty or it's half full. And if it's half empty, you're going to be unhappy. You're not going to have a happy life. And if it's half full, generally you're going to have a pretty good life. So if things are depressing and bring you down, then there are problems. But you know, with modern medicine now, we can help with a lot of these things. And so that brings it back to the neurosciences. Reward, pleasure, motivation, feeling good about ourselves. And this can all be quantitated in terms of the chemicals in the brain that tie one neuron to another, one little cell to another cell, so they can communicate and stimulate each other and make sure that the proper balanced flow of electricity through the brain gives us a sense of health and well-being. And we know now that this is in the limbic system, in the ventral tegmental area, parts of the brain, parts of the more primitive brain, in fact. This predates, if you believe in evolution, the development of the forebrain, our cerebral cortex, where we do our thinking. So, if one believes that the meaning of life is to maximize pleasure and ease pain, then the normal production of these chemicals in the brain, the normal transmission of impulses from one part of the brain to another are integral. And they're necessary for us to be happy and to feel fulfilled. Does that mean that we can have this biochemically without having to do anything? No. You know, you see people hooked on dope. You see them on heroin and cocaine. And they're trying to achieve that state of perpetual happiness, well-being, contentment. Of course, we know that doesn't work. Can we do it with some of our psychiatric medications? We can break the cycle of depression and of low self-esteem in most people with medications, but after that, you still got to get up and get moving and get involved and be part of the whole. That's the deal. If we're isolated, the world looks very different. If we're abused, the world looks very different. If our parents can't achieve any happiness in their lives, what model do we have to follow? Tough questions. There's also the question of experimental philosophy and neuroethics. Neuroethics the ethics of how 
the brain transmits chemicals from one synapse to another. In human ethical decisions, in controlled scenarios, and the experimental philosophy, philosophers and neuroethicists have made an experiment, a hypothetical experiment called the trolley problem, and it's a thought experiment in ethics for these guys and gals who study this. And the general form of the problem is this. There's a runaway trolley train barreling down the tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. They can't get free. They're going to be killed by this train. The trolley's headed straight for them. You're standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. Now, that lever, that switch, if you pull it, will make the trolley switch to a different set of tracks, and those five people will be saved. However, you glance over, and there's one person on the side track who doesn't know the train's coming. And if you switch it, you're going to kill him or her. You have two options. Do nothing, and the trolley kills five people on the main track. Pull the lever, and you kill one person and spare the others. Well, as a doctor, for me, that's easy because it's a triage question. The greater value without any other knowledge is in the five versus the one. What if that one happens to be Mozart? Well, you don't know that. It's a tough question. But the interesting thing is that the, the answers are almost universally the same through all cultures, which says that the Perhaps there is a basic morality. Perhaps there is a basic ethics that we live by. So many types of ethical judgments appear to be universal across all cultures. We value life. 99% of Muslims value life. Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, we all value life even those who don't believe in a God, perhaps more so value their life. I don't know. Whether or not they have fulfillment is hard to say. Depends. But if we value life, and we teach that to our children through religion, through morals and ethics of our society, which, by the way, change, if we do that, then why do we have kids that go out, young adult males, and now females too, who go out and perpetrate these horrendous acts? Don't they value their life? Well, I think there's a thread in Islam that says that the next life is worth going after in this life actively. That is, to put ourselves at risk in harm's way to do what we perceive to be God's calling, God's demands, God's will through the Koran and, and through the way that Muhammad led his life. If that thread runs through a religion and you have 1% of the population of that religion who are predisposed to violence through abuse, neglect, uh, psychiatric problems, home life, isolation, whatever it is, and you have a religion that's over a billion people, you've got over a million people that are primed and ready to go. 
this is a big problem, and it's costly. It's costly for everybody. It's costly for the parents of these kids, for the societies that count on these young people to be productive members. To the herd as a whole, to all of us, because we know that being involved with each other as social animals is one of the most important ways to achieve happiness. And I tell this to patients who are down. Not only do I try to get them on medication if I think they need it or send them to the psychiatrist, but I also say, are you active in your church? Do you have a sewing circle? Are you shooting hoops with anybody? Are you going to the gym and working out with some friends? Are you hanging with anybody? Are you talking to your, your spouse, your mate, your friends, your pals, your buds? Are you getting on the girlfriend or boyfriend network with your cell phone? We got to connect. We got to connect. Then we have to look at the distinction between actions that are directly caused by someone or something or actions which are those of omission. So if the trolley's going down the track and you don't do anything, most people would say, you know what, you should have done something. You say, well, I, I'm not obliged to do anything. That was one of the choices. That's an omission. It's not my problem to solve. Most people would say, well, dude, what are you talking about? You could have saved five lives for one. And there's the dilemma. So, And that person then is marginalized, made to feel guilty. So we have to make the decisions that we make, and we have to make them based upon the social groups that we're in, the animals that we are, the way we lead our lives, our beliefs in, in a God or in something greater than ourselves, whether it's the physics, the mathematics, the natural laws that make the universe work, or so we think. It's a tough, tough world if we're not involved. There's a branch of, of science and theology called neurotheology, and they try to find neural correlates. They try to find connections between the brain cells that give us that sense of a religious experience. And some of these researchers feel that it's innate within the human brain that there's a center, a God center, if you will, and that if that is ignored, that we lack or will lack or will not have a sense of full integration. And it may be something that evolved to help us cope, or it may be something that a creator put into us, into our DNA. And it's fascinating to speculate about this. And I think it's interesting if you stop and think about why am I here? Is there something more out there? And if you say, well, what's the difference? Are you fulfilled? I don't know. I don't know. For me, the answer is in science. It's in the infinite nature of the universe. Wherever you go, you're bringing the universe with you. 
So even if you escape the universe, you're still in the universe. Well, the universe is expanding. It's infinite. At least in my uh, simplistic way of looking at things. It's really a huge, huge, inconceivably large mass, energy, matter, expanding. Not only expanding, but as Hubble taught us, all the galaxies are expanding and accelerating. They're going faster. They're picking up speed, and they're all going away from each other. It's pretty cool. So, what do we do? One value system suggested, broadly calling itself terror management theory, that we're all afraid of death. And I've said before that fear is the root emotion. Whether it's death or failure or nothing to eat or being alone, fear is fear. And that these folks say that the human meaning is derived from this fundamental fear of death. Well, I would expand it to say fear. And values are selected when they allow us to escape the mental reminders of death. And one of the best ways is to have a theology, to believe that there's something greater than me out there and that I will continue to go on after this life in spirit, perhaps, in body. We used to think that. Now we're not so sure anymore. Most of us think it's in spirit. And emerging research shows meaning in life predicts better physical health outcomes, too. So if I have a belief in a God or in a set of natural and physical laws, and this is my guiding star, and I realize there's something bigger than me out there, and I'm okay with that, I'm going to have a better life. I'm going to be healthier. The greater meaning has been associated with reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease. Of course, these things are hard to really look at. In an experimental situation, because you're saying, well, does this person have a belief in a God and in a theology and a morals and value system because their brain is healthier? Or is the brain healthier because they have this belief system? So it's tough to know this, but I think it's good just to think in terms of very practical uh, ways of dealing with life. These types of attitudes of being positive and upbeat and believing in something greater than ourselves that staves off Alzheimer's disease, reduces the risk of stroke, increases longevity. And this has been examined in both American and Japanese people. That if we have this sense of purpose that comes from a theology or a science background or whatever, that we're better off and we live longer, healthier lives. In fact, in 2014, the British National Health Service, that's their socialized medicine over there, which, by the way, is suffering. They recommend five steps for mental well-being, which they feel, and a lot of people feel, will help with physical health. Connect with the community and family. Stay active. Get some physical exercise. Continue to learn all our lives. Continue to learn. Study, knowledge. We now know that 
staying mentally active can make the brain last longer before we get demented. Giving to others, the act of charity, and this seems to be universal throughout all religions. And be aware of the world around us. Leave no footprint, as the hikers say now. Leave no footprint. So those are the five things that the British Health Service is focusing on because they think it'll make for a healthier population. By the way, we're talking about the meaning of life. If anybody would like to join me and tell me their meaning of life, I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. This is Dr. Bill. We're talking about the meaning of life. Give me a call. Let me know what you think the meaning of life is for you. So I went to the guru and I said, I said, Swami, what is the meaning of life? And he said, I don't know. The computers are down. So that may be a problem in the future, even in the present. Okay, so we're sitting there, two guys, and one of them says, what if there is no meaning to life? What if we'll, we're all just a bundle of nerves and, and tissue with no greater meaning or purpose than just being and growing, biding our time, watching bad TV, and drinking homemade moonshine, and then waiting to die. And the other guy says, you got moonshine? So we all have a little bit different meaning of life, and there's one way to look at it. I thought that was kind of cute. What do you think, Jose? Does that work? It sure does. All right. So now we have to have a value system. We've all agreed that we have to have a meaning and a purpose, and we need to be active and involved. By the way, give me a call and tell me what you do to make your life meaningful and purposeful. And this is the season, right? I mean, this is the lead-up to the one of the Christian high holidays, which is the birth of Jesus. And whether you believe he's a god or just a good guy, I mean, he seemed like a good Jewish boy to me. He lived with his mom till he was 30 and then went out and, and was a rabbi, basically. That's a good calling. Nothing wrong with that. We are at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. By the way, if you're a little gun-shy of being on the radio or exposure to a broader public, whatever, you can always call Jose and just give him a, a little blurb on what you think is important or any questions you have or challenges to anything that I am saying here. It's all supposition, of course, on my part. So we can value things in two rather different ways. Some things are valued for themselves. These are things we seek or do simply because we value them, like good food, not just food, happiness, activities that we enjoy, like swimming, skiing, reading, knitting, and this could even include religious observances and going to church or going to temple or synagogue or the mosque. Some things are valued as means to things that we value for themselves. Typical examples are money. Why? Because money can be hammered in any kind of shape, form, or tool. But if we seek money and make money our God, generally we're not happy. 
and that's pathologic. So there's some interesting ways of looking at things. And when I come back, I expect some involvement out there, guys. And I'll be back in just a minute. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious or daft, and you feel that you've had quite enough. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 90 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars. It's a hundred thousand light years side to side. It bulges in the middle, 16,000 light years thick, but out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. With SRN News, I'm Greg Clogston in Washington. A statement aired on the Islamic State Group's official radio station says the mass shooting in California this past week was carried out by two supporters of the extremist group, but the group stopped short of claiming responsibility for it. President Obama will address the nation tonight about what the government is doing to keep Americans safe after the deadly attack in San Bernardino. The White House says he will also discuss the broader threat of terrorism. Liberty University President Jerry Falwell Jr. is urging students, staff, and faculty at his Christian school to get a permit to carry a concealed weapon on campus to counter any possible attackers. Syrian President Assad says the only airstrikes that are working in his civil war-torn country are those by Syria's ally, Russia, which is said to be targeting rebels other than ISIS. More details at srnnews.com. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2799. That's 727-771-2795. Living in Florida doesn't mean you have to stay indoors when bugs and mosquitoes start coming around. You can enjoy your backyard or patio without the Florida heat and humidity. Anix Outdoor Comfort Solutions can give you back your entire backyard with their specialized mosquito and flying insect misting systems, patio cooling and heating units, and retractable awnings and screens. Anix Outdoor Comfort Solutions, licensed, insured, affordable, and easy financing. Check out their Angie's List reviews at anix.com. That's A-N-I-K-S dot com. Attention. 
Hydrolyze is currently seeking participants with dark circles and puffy eyes. If you have dark circles or bags under your eyes, whether they are due to fatigue, your diet, or simply aging, you are eligible to participate in a Hydrolyze trial. Hydrolyze was introduced to address the visible signs of aging to the delicate skin around your eyes and has been shown to visibly erase dark circles and bags. To find out how you can try Hydrolyze free for 30 days and participate in the Hydrolyze trial, call 1-800-396-5826. Fragile capillaries under the eyes can leak, allowing blood to pool beneath the skin like a dark, ugly bruise. But now you can join the thousands of people who have seen these signs of under-eye aging literally fade away. Participate in this risk-free trial by calling today. If you're serious about getting rid of dark circles or bags under your eyes, you're eligible to participate today and experience results risk-free with Hydrolyze. Call this number today, 1-800-396-5826. Once more, that's 1-800-396-5826. We're looking at a blend of clouds and sunshine this afternoon, 982, made the cloudy and warm tonight, low 64. Clouds will make breaks for sunshine tomorrow, I-79. Tuesday, partly sunny and beautiful, I-77. Wednesday, partly sunny and pleasant, I-76. But Thursday will be pleasant with a blend of clouds and sunshine, I-76. That's right here with a forecast from Jeremy Pearson for AM860, The Answer. At 900 miles an hour That's orbiting at 19 miles a second So it's reckoned A sun that is the source of all our power The sun and you and me And all the stars that we can see And I'm back, this is Dr. Bill That's a little bit of Eric Idle singing the Galaxy song And the Meaning of Life Which was a movie by Monty Python They They were an English They are an English troop of actors, comedians who do comedy, and they've made some movies that are a little quirky and not for everybody, perhaps not the cup of tea for a lot of people, but I really enjoy it. And i got to give you the context of this. The the scenario in which this song was sung about the universe uh, was right after two technicians from the organ donor society came in and said they needed a liver from one of the guys who was the wife of the person who's listening to the song. And he said, what are you talking about? I'm still alive. They said, well, right here on your card, it says that you're a donor. We need a liver, so we're here to get your liver. And so they forcibly cut his liver out and take it. And the wife's in the kitchen, and she's crying and upset because she's lost her husband. And Eric Idle comes out of the icebox, and he starts singing this song about the universe. And the wall falls away, and they stroll through the universe while he sings about how huge it is, how unimaginable it is, how incomprehensible it is, and how small we are in the meaning of all of this, and walks her back into the kitchen, and she feels better. So it's a little, it's a little oddball humor, but I really like that sort of thing. Now, Aristotle, who's the father of modern science, if Socrates and Plato are the fathers of modern philosophy, then certainly Aristotle is the father of modern science and logic, He said there were purposes in the world, and the analogy between organisms, between us and our parts, our body parts, and human tools, and the part they play in our lives, is sufficient to justify speaking about the heart, for instance, which has one function, and that's to pump blood through the body, take blood that's got carbon dioxide in it back to the lungs, get rid of the carbon dioxide, pick up oxygen, get some sugar, get some nutrients from the gut, and flow around the body in the bloodstream pumped by the heart. 
does the heart have a consciousness? Well, in our present way of thinking, no. It has no consciousness. It has no inherent sense of self, no value. It's not saying, gee, I'm really worth a lot here, or I don't really matter. It doesn't matter if I pump or not. These are things that don't require consciousness, but they're integral to our existence. There's no deliberate agent behind them. They're simply a part of nature, or at least part of how Aristotle understood nature. Now, those who are creationists would say, well, this is part of the divine plan that God knew we would have to have this when he designed us, and therefore it's there. But it still doesn't give the heart consciousness. Well, for me, I would say, are you telling me that my heart or my body parts are separate entities and that if I do believe in a God, they're not, how shall I say, fully integrated with God? Well, I'm more of a pantheist. I believe that if there is a God, it imbues all of nature and all of us and every part and every rock, every lump, every grain of sand, and that it's all part of a divine plan or a plan based on physical, natural, biological laws. You say, well, where does it come from? Where did, where did all this matter that is now the universe come from? That has the physicist and the astrophysicist very, very, very upset. They can't figure it out. I'm more of a mathematician. I really don't care. You know, if you take one and divide it by zero, it's an infinite number, and that's good enough for me. I can use it in a formula. But we do have to ask ourselves, is it a part or are we a whole? Is there meaning in the greater organism? And if so, in a herd community like we live in, an animal community where we need each other, is the whole greater than the sum of the parts? Are you and I more? Do we have more meaning? A greater existence, if you will, and therefore the opportunity to, to find happiness and peace and contentment if we interact with each other. Well, that's what the neurobiologists are telling us. That's what the psychologists are telling us. That's what we all know. By hanging together and helping each other, there's a sense of fulfillment. We find a place in our community, our herd, our world. We're able to function better, happier, more fulfilled. And I think there's no doubt that any organization that's created for a positive purpose, whether it's a religion or an Elks Club or the American Medical Association or whatever it is, that involvement in that will bring us more fulfillment than not being involved and certainly will make life a lot easier, a lot more palatable. Because it's not an easy life. I mean, let's face it, we got to work hard. we got to strain. we got to sweat. And you say, well, it's not as bad as it was 100 or 200 years ago. Well, that's for sure, but it's all relative. If we continue to move along the technologic and scientific path that we're on in a 1,000 years, they may look back and say, how the heck did they live in the 21st century? How did these people survive? What a tough life. When you say, well, I don't believe in evolution. 
that's fine. You know, you're a creationist, and I can figure out how my scheme of things could fit into your world. And your world, I hope, will see fit to fit into mine as well. Evolution is central to modern biology. It's hard to teach biology without this. And so, in a sense, it's holding the biological world together intellectually. And it tells us about potential changes in disease in organisms and bacteria. And we know that multiple antibiotic resistance in bacteria is a reality. We can take a bacteria and we can grow it on a plate and we can drop in some penicillin into that colony. And there is a chance that one or two of those bacterial cells will accidentally stumble upon some way to resist the effects of penicillin. And so for the biologist, that's some proof of evolution. And the same way with pesticides. Remember that we use pesticides and then the bugs got resistant to it. Some of the bugs develop mechanisms through their genetic makeup and transformation of that makeup to stave off and resist the effects of the pesticides. So we have to go to stronger pesticides or different classes. Now, if you're a creationist, then this could all be in, as part of the divine plan of God. And I don't fault anybody for believing that. But we are changing. We are changing physically. We're changing biologically. We're changing technologically, spiritually, emotionally. I don't know. I think that we have the same fears and hopes as people that lived 10,000 years ago did. Are we going to make it? Is there going to be enough food on the table? Are we going to be killed by a terrorist if we go to the movies or by some crazy guy? We all have the same fears. You know, you step out of your cave 10,000 years ago, it was an uncertain world. You may be facing down a bear. Or another tribe hell-bent on taking away your women and your, and your food. I think all of these things come into play. And I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between now and then in terms of our emotional existence. I think that... we have a better chance of overcoming our fears and living with those foibles that make us human, that make us physical and biological. We have more technology. Most of us can count on a longer lifespan. Most of us can count on being healthier into later and later years of life. And we all value that. That's good. And so we, we, Allay, we put off, we assage, we relieve some of the anxiety and some of the fear that comes with just being alive. What the heck am I doing here? What's going to happen to me? What's it like to die? Does it hurt? But one thing's for sure. Then and now, 10,000 years ago or today, we need meaning and purpose in our lives. 
and we need to understand our own actions. We need to see how they're relevant to finding happiness and finding sense of fulfillment and community and involvement. And I think that's the real question. And I break down honesty, truth, and frankness into three different categories. Frankness is you just tell somebody off the top of your head what you're feeling about them. That dress stinks. I don't like that dress. And you don't care if it hurts their feelings or not, at least at that particular moment when you blurt it out. The truth is, I look at the north window at the house here. I look outside, and I see clouds moving. It looks like a big storm. My wife's looking out the south window in the kitchen. She says, oh, it's a sunny, beautiful day. We both have a piece of the truth. And as we see it, with our ability to sense it, we both have realities that are, at least on the surface, different, although they're not really, we know whether it's all tied together. But, but in the simplest form, the truth is in both of us. But for honesty, honesty is knowing not only what we do in our actions, but why we do it, what's driving us, what is that underlying emotion. If we can examine that in ourselves, we can alter the way that we act and interact with each other. If we look at that emotion and say, geez, you know, I'm a real jerk because I was heavy-handed with my first kid, uh, but now with some counseling or going to church, talking with friends, taking antidepressants, I see how wrong that was and what a terrible thing I did. And with my other kid, I'm, I'm not doing that. I've seen my, my error, and I've corrected it, and I understand where it came from, that my father was heavy-handed with me, and therefore it seemed natural and that I had a little bit of that explosive personality that he had. But now I understand, and now I know. So now I can change it. When I have those feelings coming up and arising in me, I can walk out. I can put myself in time out. I can call a friend. I can jump on my bicycle and ride and burn up some of that chaotic energy that does no one good. So that's, for me, that's the real honesty. It's about knowing not only what I feel and knowing what I do, but why. Why do I do this? What's driving this? What's making me want to perform this act, be a doctor, go out and work in the yard, take the wife out to dinner, treat the kids with love and respect, put them through school, whatever. Why am I doing these things? There must be some inherent value in this for me, something that I get out of it that's not tangible, it's not material. Yes, it's good to see the kids educated and working, making money, takes the monkey off my back. Of course, that's what we all talk about at the lunch table. But there's also a sense of accomplishment and having been involved, and there we are, we're back to that involvement in the community and in the family, and it have produced something of great value, perhaps greater value than me, my children. I think it was Khalil Gibran who said, our children are not our own. They're not our own. They are the longing, they are life's longing for itself. They are life's longing for itself. And, and I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, 
can we own each other? Yes and no. Yes, we're all connected. No, we can't deny you the right to be you, whatever that means. I mean, within the parameters of our morals and values, our laws and our ethics. No, you can't run a red light. If you run the red light, you're going to run the risk of hurting somebody else. So don't do it. That's why we have red lights, so we regulate each other's behavior, so we interact in a positive social way. So what is our purpose? For a lot of people, it's knowledge. And I remember this episode when we sat down with our dean in medical school our freshman year, and we were complaining about anything and everything as freshmen do. And I said, Dean Keeney, what is our purpose here? He says, Billy, it's knowledge. Above all knowledge. I said, at what cost? He said, this side of, just this side of insomnia and insanity. And I never forgot that. He, he was uh, quite a wordsmith. I, I knew him from when I was a child, and it was really uh, it was a thrill to receive my diploma from him. He was a classmate of my mother's. Unbelievable. Four approaches to teleology. What we're here for. The end of it. Elimination. The scientific worldviews include everything, but does not include goals at all. The world is just a mechanism, and we're part of it. That's elimination, reduction. At some point in the evolution of life, organisms really come to have goals as part of their nature. Maybe that's inherent. I think it is. Dualism. Same thing, but something special and non-natural must be added to make this happen. There has to be a spiritual or an emotional reality. Interpreting what some organisms do in terms of goals is a way of understanding things that we use for different purposes. So, if we ride a horse and it's an organism that's alive, we don't want to think of it as just a tool that we use. This is a living being. And we treat it with respect. Well, the same way with even the tools in my shop. If I don't treat them with respect, they don't last. And by treating other things and people with respect, we learn to respect ourselves have a greater understanding, a greater love of self, a greater sense of self-satisfaction. Again, we're back to that being involved. You know, I like this time of year. Whether you believe Jesus is God or not, I mean, what a great rap. What, what, a, what a great uh, uh, idea and teaching this man had to say that it's not hate and war and getting even that makes us whole and happy. It's Loving each other and interacting, turning the other cheek, not picking a fight, learning to walk away, learning to back down and be grateful, to be humble. It's not an easy lesson, and I can see why there's a need for a lot of Christians to continue to practice their faith because it's a lesson that we have to take with us every day. And it's a lesson that doesn't come easily to a lot of us, yours truly included. I let my patience remind me of what an arrogant SOB I am. Of course, the wife does that, too. She's very good at that. She says, dude, you have no humility. I said, honey, I don't even know how to spell it. Does it begin with a, a U or an H? All right, guys. It's the end of the show. Love you. And... 
Jose, thanks, buddy. Let's play some music and get out of here. And it's the end of the show and the beginning of another. 5, 10, 25, 30, 50, 75, $100. It's auction time, auction time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.